Hey, um, so I think I often start with this good morning, good afternoon, and good evening uh, with, with all my events. So I, I'll start saying that. Uh, so good morning, good afternoon, and good evening for all the folks joining us uh, today across the globe. Um, you know, first of all, thank you so much, Mark, you know, for providing this opportunity. Um, so uh, I'll, before just deep diving and then give, give you a perspective about like what India and what uh, the opportunities in India. Um, let me start giving a brief intro about me, that uh, Kiran, uh, as you can see on the screen. Um, I recently moved back to India after spending almost close to a decade in New York. Uh, used to be in Jersey City, um, right across the Hudson. Uh, my background has been, um, did my public policy at Columbia, you know, spent some time in private equity. <laughs> I've been running a family office network over the last two years, you know, with a focus on um, educating families uh, to uh, drive investments into India, um, educating them about the alternative asset classes and the opportunities there in the region. So whenever I speak with investors these days, you know, I always, you know, talk about three regions, uh, even though I come from India. So you always need to look into India, Southeast Asia and Africa. So this is where you are going to make humongous amount of money in the next, you know, decade or two. Um, these are the regions that you cannot miss. Uh, I, I, when I interacted with a lot of family offices back when I was there in New York, uh, people had a regret feeling that this is a chain of board back in the 1990s. Uh, I always tell people now, don't miss the India board, don't miss the Southeast Asia board, and above all, don't miss the Africa board as well. So the time is right, you know, for disruption in these regions, and there's a lot that is happening in these regions as well. Um, so. Uh, so the way how we are going to do this in our today is I'll uh, briefly talk about uh, India from a 30,000 foot high. Um, you know, uh, as uh, Mark mentioned, uh, we uh, seek open dialogue. So feel free to chime in. Feel free to share your experiences. I know this is not a presentation. This is more of a conversation that we would like to have here. Um, so after my presentation, we will have you know two panel discussions. You know, we are joined today by you know experts. Um, from India and abroad, uh, who had deep uh, investing experience and who understand the space. Um, we will we'll, uh, intro you uh, to them and uh, we will hear uh, their work in India. And uh, again, um, we'll, we'll keep the dialogue open, so please keep your questions coming uh, in the chat box. Uh, we will take them as we come along. So, talking about India, I think uh, what, what, you know, uh, this mark, you know, just give me a heads up over the time, you know, I, I sometimes I just get carried away, you know, when I talk to you over here. By the way, when, when, I, when I do, I do this. Uh, I throw a yellow, yellow background. Perfect. Awesome. So just, just to get started about India, you know, um, and um, I, I just want, what I would like to do today is, you know, just build a thesis about, like, how India as a country, um, back from 1947 to as of today in 2021, right? So if you see India is a very young country, 75 years old, um, and uh, you know, there's so much to be done in the country. Um, so I'd like to divide, uh, you know, the phase of growth in India into, I would say, into three different phases, from 1947 to 1990, 1992, so say close to 2010, and then uh, the last decade, um, and then 2021 to the way forward. 
So until 1947 to from 1947 to 1990, India has been more of a socialist communist country. Uh, rather than communist, it's more of a socialist country. And then we have we have been very closely. Uh, uh, we, we we were kind of very close economy, you know, until you know for the for almost like 40 years there after our independence. So in 1990, we actually opened the doors to uh, international um, investor base uh, through uh, liberalization, privatization, and globalization policies, and that's when we had like a lot of new age industries that came up. You know, so if you see the wealth that is that has that got created in India and the family offices that are being set up in India, now this is the wealth that has been created over the last two to three decades. You know, whether it is manufacturing, um, you know, chemicals. Uh, Uh, the consumer goods, you know, there are a bunch of industries that came up and they thrived and they prospered. You know, so Indians started to started to consume. There's like hardworking um, working class population and uh, the industries thrive, right? So from 1990 to 2010, uh, or I would say like you know from 2000 2004 vintage period, uh, we we grew decently. We grew you know almost at around like five to six percent uh, GDP growth consistently. Um, You know, until 2004, um, and and also until 2010. You know, in, in around the 2008-2009, we had an ex, you know interesting GDP growth of eight to nine percent. You know, um, as a country. Um, coming back to the investments part, you know, the reason why I want to divide this is to talk about the vintage periods. You know, from 1990 to 2004, uh, it has been more of the traditional investments that went into India. You know, the real estate, infrastructure, you know, uh, all these aspects. So from 2004 onwards is where you know there has been a lot of um, India kind of opened up and there has been a lot of institutional and international funds uh, started investing into India and we saw the growth of alternative investments as a space. So we had the first you know wave of private equity you know from 2004 to around 2012 onwards you know could we could take the first vintage period. And from 2012 to 2019, we could call it as a second vintage period. And then, you know, 2020 onwards, you know, there is this, you know, third vintage period that is getting started. So, with regards to the exits, you know, the first phase did not do that well with regards to the private equity. Um, we, uh, I, I have some statistics and numbers here. So, th- there are decent returns, but uh, with the 20. You know, 12, 2013 vintage period is where the private equity actually generated a lot of returns. Um, so the first phase, you know, couple of reasons, three reasons to point out, right? Uh, uh, the promoter quality is not that great, you know, be then, and there were only very few deals that were available in the market. And also, um, India capital market system was not that mature, you know, to provide exits, uh, you know, during that time frame. But things have changed over the last one decade, you know. I, I, Going forward, what I would like to spend my time is, you know, the changes that have happened in the last one decade and how India is progressing, and you know, the opportunities that could be seen both from the institutional investors and from the family offices there. Um, so, I, the private equity guys have learned from the first cycle, and they yeah. they started. Yeah, sorry. Just just noticing how many slides you have, you may want to start keep rolling through. Sure. Yeah, I I am getting to that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go through the slides. You know, that, that's what I want to talk about the last decade. Um, so the second decade, I mean, 
2014 onwards, you know, we have been you know generating like a lot of returns, and uh, there is like a lot of improvement in the promoter quality. Um, entrepreneurship is growing. You know, uh, like we have Sanjay Mehta, who is a very prolific angel investor, joining us today. You know, he would be discussing about his thesis. Um, he has made like decent uh, investments and um, really made decent returns out of India. Um, so uh, I think I'll, 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 I'll you know shift the slides and then talk about macroeconomic factors and then the future you know from here on you know from 2021 onwards and what is in it for the private investors and for the family offices you know to start looking into India. So there's no second thought. I think uh, India will be a 10 trillion dollar economy. We are at uh, around like 2.5, uh, 2.7 uh, trillion as of today. So there is going to be massive amount of GDP, GDP and wealth creation that is going to happen in the country. What does it mean? Tremendous amount of opportunities there in the country. So why is it happening? I'll come to that in a bit. So uh, IMF estimates. These are IMF estimates, by the way. You know. IMF estimates that India will grow at 11.5% in 2021, um, and whereas China will be growing at 8%. So India will have the fastest GDP growth in 2021, you know, um, uh, across the globe. I mean, no other country has, you know, double-digit growth, you know, as projected by IMF. The most important piece is, you know, where the opportunities are coming is uh, India is transitioning, you know, into we are a lower middle income country as of today. Um, we will be transi transitioning from the lower middle to you know middle income country by 2030. So that that is going to happen um, in India. Um, and you know how we how we are going to you know drive there. We, we will be driven. The whole story is actually driven by you know couple of factors. One is the demographic dividend. Um, so. I, I'd like to show this slide. You know, this actually you know gives you a better picture. So, uh, so just marry these two slides, right? You know, so the demographic dividend. So we are at 1.3 billion, 1.5 billion in 2030. Um, the interesting factor is uh, look at the median age. So the median age as of today is 27 years. You know, in 2019. And the median age is not changing much. It's only 31.4 in um, you know 2030. Whereas the median age in the United States will be 40, um, and the China it will be 42, and China is already aging. Um, so, and also the, the amount of the working population that we have by 2030 is tremendous. We will we'll have close to 65 percent of the work, um, uh, 65 percent of uh, the population in the working age group. So that means. The people have a lot of spending capacity uh, and they are looking for new innovative products and services. Uh, that means there is a growth for a lot of startups or a lot of companies uh, to come into the India or you know there is a lot of investment opportunities and where you can actually make a lot of money. So from the macroeconomic perspective, uh, India is at a very stronger you know position there. So the so the demographic dividend, as I mentioned, let me quickly go through these uh, slides. Um, so now I'd like to talk about what has happened over the last five years, you know, especially in India. Humongous amount of transformation. In 2015, uh, Reliance Dambani, um, which is the richest man in Asia, um, he came into the market with his um, uh, with Geo, you know, which is uh, a telecom provider. And uh, that actually transformed India a lot. Uh, so 
most and there is Xiaomi, you know, from the China, which has connected it into the Indian market through their smartphones. So combined with that and Jio, uh, the mobile penetration has surged like crazy in India now. Now, if you see in 2020, uh, this is expected, but I think the number is very big. We have around close to 850 million smartphones, you know, as of today in India. And uh, you will be shocked to hear some of the interesting statistics there. So around, as I said, 720 to 750 million people have, you know, the access to internet. And what does it mean? Um, so people are actually, uh, you know, spending time on uh, mobile phones. They're consuming a lot of content. They're actually shopping on you know, mobile. They're doing commerce on mobile. And uh, they're, uh, they're consuming content. They're actually shopping. They're actually ordering food on mobile. Uh, everything is happening on mobile, literally. Uh, so if you see the daily video consumption, uh, you know, it, it's, it's actually close to two to three hours of time is uh, being spent um, on mobile video these days uh, here in India. So th this is the number of the digital buyers. As of today, the population, it, it is very less to be frank. Uh, so the e-commerce penetration is only close to the GMB of e-commerce in India is as of 2019 is only $30 billion. So it is actually expected to, uh, you know, uh, grow 5x or 10x, you know, by 2030. You know, that means there's like a lot of digital buyers coming and buying on e-commerce um, through mobiles uh, there in India. So I'd like to talk more about, you know, what is in it for this group as per se, right? You know, the family office group or the institutional group. So this transformation over the last five years have opened up humongous amount of opportunities for people, uh, um, both for investors here in India and as well as abroad as well. So when you as a foreign investor are looking into India, uh, there are humongous opportunities that are have, that have opened up in venture capital space. Uh, if you see, India today has 35 unicorns, and it is expected to have 100 plus unicorns in the next four to five years. Um, and we will have, you know, 200 plus unicorns might be in by 2030 or 2035. You know, I'll, I'll let, you know, Sanjay and other investors speak about that uh, number. But uh, there is a humongous amount of transformation that is happening uh, on the ground. And there's like a lot of investment that is going into the startup scene. And uh, there, is, there is like a lot of opportunities for foreign investors, you know, to come and play a role uh, in that space both in the direct investing as well as in the fund investing. How we are going to do that, you know, that, that's up for a separate discussion. You know, we can do a deep dive on that, but that's number one area where you can actually see a lot of capital flowing into India. So the second opportunity, obviously, private equity has generated humongous amounts of returns in the last vintage period, and the, the third cycle is getting started, and the, the maturity of a lot of deals that are there in the market, um, with the maturity of a lot of promoters, uh, interestingly, a lot of businesses are being overtaken for the next gen. If I have to talk from family office uh, jargon perspective, so these are the kids who studied in United States, London, who got exposed to the different you know, securities, you know, different markets, who are coming back and taking the family businesses. So they are open to uh, private equity, uh, you know, uh, operate companies coming in. Uh, investing into their port, in, investing into their company and then take their company from you know A to B or you know uh, 
A to Z there. So that's that's number two opportunity that you can see in India. And interestingly, uh, I'm actually quite actively working with a you know Swiss family office. I'm actually, uh, you know, quite actively working with the Swiss family office at this point of time um, on like a couple of pre-IPO opportunities. Uh, the reason why I'm saying pre-IPO opportunities is um, they were, from 2015, 2014 to 2020, uh, there has been a uh, lot of um, capital that flew into the venture uh, space. And, and the, these companies are ripe for disruption, uh, sorry, the, these companies are ripe for exit at this point of time. And uh, if you see, if you follow the news, there are two companies, Zomato, which is the one of the largest, you know, food uh, delivery company, uh, similar to the lines of DoorDash. Uh, and also there is Nika, uh, which is the largest vertical beauty commerce company in, in, here in India. They announced their plans for an IPO in 2021. So, as I mentioned before, there are 35 unicorns and which is expected to go to 100. So the, the number one exit strategy path, you know, could be uh, apart from the strategy sale is to go to a free IPO and the uh, the exchange here, um, SEBI, which is, you know, equivalent to SEC there are, is changing rules, you know, for the startups here in India to uh, exit on, on the Indian market itself. So there are humongous opportunities, you know, that uh, that are getting opened up for um, the the private investors there in that space, you know, the pre-IPO opportunities. So two more asset classes uh, which are becoming very hot um, is the private debt and the private credit space, you know, because with the zero interest rates and uh, there is no yield for, you know, fixed incomes uh, available. Uh, sorry, so no yield, no yield that is coming out of the fixed income and the bonds. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunities coming up in the private debt and credit space. There are decent fund managers on the ground here who are giving around 13 to 15% returns, you know, in those two, uh, you know, asset classes. So those are two areas that, you know, that, that could be uh, looked into as well. And of course, ESG as a space is becoming hot. I think India is a hotbed, um, you know, uh, for ESG. There has been a lot of experiments that have been done. And, uh, you know, impact investing and DSG will continue to grow. Um, and distressed assets, you know, with the recent loss that came into the picture, I think there are like a lot of uh, opportunities in the distressed assets as well. Uh, if you notice here, you know, I haven't discussed anything about real estate or infrastructure uh, per se here. Uh, we will deep dive a little further on real estate and infrastructure at a later point of stage. But, you know, when I'm working with the family offices, when I talk to the family offices, one um, sorry, uh, so one one thing that we generally you know uh, tell them is uh, infrastructure is a long-term uh, game, and uh, you know uh, I'm just trying to be candid here. You know, if you really do not uh, have a local partner on the ground, and if you really do not know how to navigate the scene in Delhi and have some political connections, it is really difficult to make money in India. So uh, just be a little cautious on that if you are getting into the infrastructure space. Now having said that, people have made a like, lot of money there, uh, but when you have these opportunities, uh, you know, just, just be weighing the options of these asset classes vis-a-vis the infrastructure. You know, I'm not against it, but uh, it takes a lot of time. Uh, 
So how do you navigate it? You know, that's the most important piece. Um, so the most important piece is actually uh, for India to to work um, to navigate and to invest into India. You need to have a local partner. You know. Um, Find a local partner who actually can help you with finding the right opportunities. You know, uh, help you with the you know all the due diligence, operational, financial, and then this due diligence. Uh, and uh, if you, as a family office, are you know coming and investing into India, you can either invest directly or invest to the funds. But like uh, the general, you know, when we work with a couple of families, we generally. Uh, you know, request the families to co-invest with other families to start with, you know, navigate, you know, uh, understand the market, and then you can go direct, you know, with whatever asset class you would like to. Um, and and uh, interestingly, what is happening uh, of late is most of the startups, you know, that are in, uh, in India are actually setting up shops in Singapore. So, if, if you are concerned about, you know, the the currency risk, or you know, the operational risk, or you know, the the arbitration mechanisms or enforcement of contracts. So you can actually navigate through Singapore, you know, which is the most preferred route, you know, these days. And um, I've been closely working with Singapore EDB uh, to see how we can route more investments through Singapore, you know, into India. So uh, rather than through the Mauritius road, uh, so most of the startups uh, you you can actually they they they're setting up in Singapore. Uh, you can set up an entity in Singapore, you know, which could be done in you know less than two to three days. Uh, invest there, and uh, you are you know secured both from the risk angle and other angles as well. And uh, your investment could be deemed safe, you know, if you are routing through Singapore rather than you know directly coming. If if you have any issues there, um, and stop with this, you know. Um, so. I, I think I'll, I'll actually stop here. You know, I think I'm happy to take any questions to start with, and and might be will deep dive here from you know the other folks. Uh, any questions for Karen before we move on to the panel? Covered a lot of ground. Yeah. So this this is just at the thirty thousand foot high. We can. Hey, Mark, I've got a quick question. It's uh, Rob. Yep. Here. You're, you're frozen. Mm -hmm. right. I may have frozen up with the um, Wi-Fi. Sorry. Now I see you moving. Yep. Back. Go ahead. Can you, can you, Mark, can you hear me now? Okay, yep. great. Kieran, can you just uh, can you speak a little bit about um, uh, BRICS? And you know, I think Mark may mentioned earlier some of the this emerging market, um, um, you know, togetherness. Um, do you have an opinion on on um, how BRICS has been, and and um, do you see that being um, being um, uh, an effective medium um, in this um, in this uh, uh, He's going in and out. Is, is BRICS no, still relevant, Karen? I, I, I think I, I can touch on that. So I think my focus has been more on, you know, talking, you know, from how family offices can come and invest and how you, you guys can make money. 
BRICS is more of a political thing in nature. Uh, BRICS started with a very good motive, and I think uh, we made really good progress, you know, uh, as part of the group, as part. Uh, but off late. Um, with the geopolitical tensions that has happened with the China uh, and in the region, especially with the South, South China Sea. Uh, by the way, TikTok is completely banned in India and TikTok actually laid up their entire you know, team. Uh, I've been talking with a couple of people. So they laid up the entire team and operations here in India. So there has been like numerous tensions that has that are you know happening you know in the region, um, especially with China. And uh, China is, you know, aggressively moving ahead with the Silk Road, uh, Silk Road uh, route. Um, uh, they are, you know, closely working with Pakistan. You know, they are giving like a lot of, uh, rather than freebies, you know, they are they are they are uh, uh, sponsoring some of their road projects there. You know, they are supporting railway projects. They are, they are supporting numerous things. Uh, you know, to make the Silk Road, uh, you know, route happen, but. Unfortunately, that that route is strategically is a disadvantage for India. So, um, BRICS as a you know as a conglomerate is very strong, um, but I think over over a period of time, over the last couple of years, it has lost its relevance because of the geopolitical tensions um, at the moment. Well, I think I think we're at the point we want to move on to the panel. Is that fair? Yeah. So we're at the top of the hour, so we'll have time for Q&A after each panel and then as we go forward. Do you want to continue to uh, navigate the slides or do you want me to uh, just keep it up? I think this is this is good. Okay. You want to introduce the panel then? Sure. Okay. So, uh, so thanks everyone once again, you know, who are joining, um, who just joined. Um, morning. Um, so this panel, what we'll do, we have you know, a lot of experts um, who are investing in India, who who had a lot of experience investing into India and then who are in India at the moment. So what we will do is um, we'll try to understand you know, the asset classes that they're investing in, uh, the opportunities in those particular asset classes. And uh, you as a foreign family office or a institutional investor, you know, how to navigate that particular market or the particular asset class. So uh, we'll try to keep it very brief. Um, and I think what we will do is uh, in terms of uh, the format, uh, we'll uh, request all the panelists to introduce themselves, uh, the work that they have been doing. And then we will deep dive into um, in a couple of rounds of questions and we will open the floor to Q&A. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, uh, on that note, uh, I think uh, I'll request Jyoti to just give a brief about herself and the work you do. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good evening. I am Jyoti Bandari, and uh, I'm founder and CEO of a multifamily office, uh, Loak Capital, based out of New Delhi, India. And I also represent a private equity fund from Switzerland, uh, and uh, we are looking to acquire assets, uh, especially ESG compliant and uh, digitization in the region. So I've spent over two decades in capital markets in India and I've, uh, prior to my this venture, I had worked with leading national and international uh, banks based out of uh, India. Thank you, Jyoti. Uh, on next, uh, Manisha. Good morning and good evening, everyone. Uh, 
my name is monisha odhani and uh, i am basically a finance professional uh, you know into the private banking space for 15 years now and i have done my mba in uh, finance from symbiosis institute of management from pune and i've been dealing with uh, you know most family offices sanctum is where i work sanctum wealth management which is nothing but your coots india private banking which is now changed to sanctum wealth management via a management buyout which happened uh, you know 4 years ago and basically work with a couple of family offices at my at my uh, role at sanctum and i manage about couple of billion dollars for them uh you know uh, i am responsible for uh, devising a proper strategy on asset allocation and also do a tactical allocation uh, based on where markets are headed and uh, what is the need of the hour so that is what i do and uh, and and yeah that is that is it about me thank you thanks manisha so kuntal yeah uh, thanks kiran and thank you mark for this opportunity and uh, unlike my previous panelist uh, i am not a investment banker or investment advisor i am a chartered accountant by qualification and i have in fact uh, advised many foreign funds uh, family offices uh, as well as uh, many other corporates try, uh, looking to set up their uh, business in india uh, have uh, helped them uh, Uh, guide through the maze of indian regulatory and complex uh, rules you know ever changing uh, rules and interpretation make uh, the investment decision into india a very uh, serious affair it's not something where uh, you know one size fits all concept you can't apply there uh, you know we have seen lot of tax controversies in and around uh, investments into india so i'm involved into this for past many years and uh, uh, and recently uh, i have seen that uh, especially in past uh, year or so i have seen that a uh, lot of interest uh, in india uh, for uh, uh, looking out the opportunities for uh, investments in the infrastructure phase uh, in technology space uh, in pharma sector uh, and and uh, i i fully agree to what kiran has said on the opportunities uh which india is uh, uh you know uh, providing for uh, growth uh and and i'm personally quite convinced uh, also on the uh, appetite of uh, indian consumers as well as indian entrepreneurs to take advantage of uh, technology and the software space uh so much so that uh, you know i am on my personal capacity i am now motivated to launch my own technology platform uh which is going to be uh catering to the needs of uh, uh startup community uh, as well as so, create some marketplace so, yeah yeah thanks kuntal i mean we'll leave there further on that uh, so we have uh, saket also joining the studio so saket a uh, brief interview for you sure hi good morning everyone uh, my name is saket narang i head steinberg india advisors uh, here in mumbai we are exclusive advisors uh, to the steinberg india fund uh, which is a india focused long only public markets fund uh, we have been running this fund for almost 10 years now it's uh, roughly 250 million dollars in size 
and we run a concentrated strategy focused on investing in high quality consumer businesses in india like kiran had you know in his opening presentation talked about uh, the rising consumer discretionary incomes in india we feel that given the strong demographic dividend and the high growth in india many consumer discretionary categories will experience very sharp growth in the coming decade and we try and find these businesses at one of the early stage of their life cycles and try and own them for long periods of time uh, so for example uh, currently in our portfolio uh, we so, own sorry sakit i will deep dive further on that you know okay, in, a, sure. in a moment yeah thanks 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 for the intro there uh, so i think let let me come to monisha first right uh, so uh, she said just like that you know she manages billions of dollars of family office capital here so i'd like to hear monisha you know from you on you know what are the trends you know the family offices are seeing on the ground both from the macro and microeconomic point of view and you know so if we have to uh, categorize uh, the investment into short medium and long term so what yeah. are some of the asset classes that the family offices are looking on the ground at the moment definitely so when it comes to your uh, short term asset classes which is between 6 months to about 2 years uh you know you can definitely look at uh, some selected stocks in public markets you can look at uh, uh you know as you rightly pointed out in your uh, introduction uh, presentation we can definitely look at some private debt private credit uh, that is something where most families throughout the 2020s have made a decent return which is which is in the range of between 9% to about 15% depending upon the kind of credit and the kind of risk appetite these families have so uh, you know we can definitely make a good money even in the short term uh, when it comes to medium term we can we can look at uh, you know certain uh, private equity ventures uh, you know which may be for 4 uh, to 5 years kind of a scenario uh definitely public markets is always always an asset for whatever your uh, you know uh, duration is so i would definitely put in some uh, uh, allocation towards uh, public markets uh, listed equity uh, even for a mid term and for long term really uh, you know i don't really advise any family to look at any fund or any uh, instrument from a 10 year or a 7 year perspective because uh, environment is very dynamic your uh, you know government policies keep changing uh, you know so it's it's advisable to uh, look at every investment from a maximum 5 year to 6 year kind of a kind of a you know scenario and maybe we can review that uh, you know after 5 years and look how how you know we need to change it or not so so that that will be my uh, thing uh, that is how so, i would place so when when you said 5 years you know what what uh, which asset class are we targeting at because uh, typically you know uh, if you're investing in a vc fund uh, you need to look at 7 to 10 year horizon no protection most uh, you're right you're right similarly uh, with the private equity so uh, so when when we speak to family offices and uh, uh, so with regards to private credit and debt you know people are quite comfortable investing into like four or five year horizon but uh, what what specific funds uh, or which asset classes are you specifically referring to for uh, five year you're, you're talking about 
so you can uh, so your private equity funds or venture capital funds won't come at a five year duration they are usually funds which are 10 year long funds or 8 year long funds uh, so you can pick up individual private equity deals or individual startups at uh, right from seed capital to uh, you know maybe a pre series a stage uh we would prefer entering at pre series a uh, stage because you know what has happened is the startup has already has some amount of run up that has already happened there is some bit of a uh, momentum that a promoter can already show to a family that what has he done with it coming at a seed capital stage is at, is according to me is too nascent stage for any family to put money and maybe so a pre series a stage is a good stage to uh, evaluate start startups and these are the kind of investments that one can typically choose and there are whole host of investments available so we can you know probably families need to do more due diligence on what they are comfortable with the sectors that they truly understand where their comfort lies and uh, what is it that they are looking at when they are doing the investment whether it's more of a valuation game whether is it's it's that they're looking to be a strategic partner so that that are the decisions that that families would need to make while evaluating these uh, you know uh, individual private equity deals which would be from a four year to five year perspective oh. the sectors that most families like here are uh, mostly right now is edtech because a lot of uh, technology is coming in the education space and most big names are uh, after it uh you know the another one uh, which is a good area which probably uh, lures most family is the digitization of uh, general trade which is happening and you will see right from reliance jio to your airtel everybody's in that game and uh, so are many uh, you know first time startups also so that's also something that's that's quite upcoming and and uh, you know something that most families like yeah thank you Apart i mean your yeah we'll further deep dive you know both in this session and the next session on you know the yeah. uh, the trends sure. that are happening this so sure. let me come to you jyoti so what are the some of the trends that you are seeing within your family office community and uh, uh, so if a foreign investor to, to the group here you know if they are looking to come to india so uh, of course it depends on the risk appetite like what are like one or two asset classes that you would like to suggest uh thank you kiran and uh, i would say uh, uh, your uh, presentation was quite informative and you've covered pretty much you know uh, what we'd like to share but uh, i i feel that uh, what i have seen in family offices i have interacted that you know india has definitely emerged stronger you know post uh, uh, post pandemic and uh, where we see uh, you know long term uh growth uh, coming or the trends emerging is uh, especially e-commerce which will result um in a major shift in consumer behavior electric vehicles which will transform the auto industry globally um ott to emerge as a major vehicle for content transmission then green energy uh, another major portion make in india especially white goods oems chemicals and financialization you know uh, we have seen uh, in fact uh, post liberalization now we are into two decades of liberalization we have seen about you know 500 billion dollars of fdi in india has been the major beneficiary of uh, fdi and especially last year uh, we have seen you know it's uh, india who has gained most uh, uh, share in F- global fdi 
so digitization digital economy will play you know the major trend in the next decade cool thank you yeah uh, absolutely can continue more uh, so uh, so kunal let me come to you you know before before asking my question you know i i wanted to share this information during the introductory thing you know uh, oh okay mark is recording so so uh, since it is a closed group right you know and uh, i'm i'm trying to be very candid here you know doing business in, in india is hard okay let me uh, say that uh, of course doing business in india is hard let me reverse my statement uh, in the last decade you know but not uh, not in the first decade of the century uh, but not now uh, the reason is uh, there has been a lot of rules and regulations there has been a lot of uh, Uh, changes that the government brought in from 2014 onwards which is actually protecting the investor interest of like um so when i spoke with a lot of investors back in new york uh, most of them have mentioned about enforcement of contract enforcement of uh, uh, there is like lot lack of arbitration mechanism that 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 doesn't exist in india so there are like a couple of those compliance where you know investors have lost money uh so i i actually wanted to ask kuntal on you know about the policies that indian government has created you know to strengthen the this investor ecosystem you know as of today as of 2021 and say again going back to you know uh, the group here if the group wants to come and invest into india how are their investments protected in the first place you know uh, the most important piece is you know the principal needs to be protected and if they find something fishy they should have the ability to exit the portfolio company or exit the company there how strong are those rules and regulations and the regulatory practices and uh, where is india going to you know evolve in terms of those structures you know into 2025 yeah kiran so i'll try and address you know in your uh, this comment there are many issues and many uh, complicated questions that's yes, so why i'll try and address uh, as much as i can in my yeah, capacity yeah, ability it's a i it's a very loaded question so let's try yeah. to keep it very strategic you know sure. so so yeah. if i was to talk about few of very bold and important amendments in uh, india in past few years which would be of great relevance and interest to the investors uh, would be one would be the insolvency law uh, you know the way in which the government has gone about uh, uh, clearing the uh, bottleneck of introducing a sound insolvency law uh, now we have a law which is in place and i think that is uh, uh, i have personally experienced that it has given a huge flip uh, and confidence to investors when they look at an opportunity in india that's one very big positive second if i was to look at similar positive amendment would be in the laws dealing with the arbitration uh, in india in all year india was known to be a jurisdiction for luxury litigation when it came to arbitration you know the even arbitration went on for about 8 years 10 years without any conclusion on the proceedings the only change was that it uh, took place in five star hotels in the chambers of big law firms rather than taking place in the court rooms but now we have seen that in past uh, few years there has been a complete uh, overhaul to the indian arbitration rules indian arbitration procedures uh, most important is that now under the law it is possible to 
demand and interim relief because you know if the if the issue involved or the demand involved has some kind of a perishability or some kind of urgency then the uh, you know the arbitration uh, uh, bench is allowed to issue an interim award in any case it has been provided that any uh, arbitration referred to the tribunal or to the arbitrator have to be resolved in 18 months period so that's a very big Uh, decision and big change. Uh, also, the arbitration award now is equivalent to a high court decree. So earlier we had a witness that uh, even after an arbitration award, you'll see parties going to the court and challenging the finding of the arbitrator and you know making the whole exercise uh, fruitless. But that is not there now. Uh, you know it is equivalent to high court decree unless there are some you know prima facie errors. there are certain uh, fundamental uh, errors in uh, reaching to the decision of course one can have a stay in the, that regard otherwise you know you will not see that kind of uh, uh, situation for uh, arbitration award so this is a very big thing when it comes to investment into india third we have seen the lot of uh, uh, discussion and also fear emerging in the minds of uh, foreign investment uh, uh, community with regard to the retrospective introduction of the law like we all know the vodafone case and the retrospective uh, amendment to the income tax law uh, since 2014 we have seen that uh, the present government has uh, even on the floor of parliament as well as at other forums uh, made it uh, very clear that uh, there will not be any more arbit uh, any more retrospective tax law so that's something very good for investors to know but at the same time there are many amendments there are many uh, changes which have taken place even in the tax front uh, which has given lot of discomfort uh, to the investor community but i think that we can uh, you know take it up at a later stage but just to answer to your question these are the two major uh, changes in the you know regulatory framework uh, which can surely give some uh, you know confidence and comfort to investor community if there is any particular aspect from your comment you want me to address i'll be happy to address that no i think this is really great so i think uh, you know from the regulatory perspective i think we may be uh, we are making the country more investor friendly and i think we are pro investors you know of late and i think uh, there still there are a lot of changes to be made and i think we are moving at a very you know aggressive pace and uh, making it uh, uh, highly investor friendly you know so thanks to that so saket you know let me come to you so you briefly mentioned about you know investing into um, finding and choosing the consumer you know uh, companies there uh, and uh, as i mentioned before right you know we will be moving from the lower middle class to um, in the middle income class economy uh, by 2030 so from your perspective you know what are some of the trends that you are seeing and which industries are going to benefit from this you know consumption and uh, again uh, i am going uh, asking the same question again for for the investor base here what are what are some of the recommendations you know on a broader level you know, what are some of the recommendations of the industries that they should look into sure so i think uh, if you look at you know the experience in other markets whether it is in the us or in the last couple of decades in china or other emerging markets what we have seen is that when a country sees its per capita income 
increase from let's say $1000 uh, to $5000 it is the consumer discretionary categories which benefit disproportionately because after consuming the staples the basics uh, that individual needs the incremental income they generate is spent on better clothing uh, better food uh, better holidays so i think consumer discretionary sector is something that we believe would disproportionately benefit within that sort of segment there are many themes that one can look at uh, one could be branded apparel companies uh, another could be uh, restaurant businesses and similarly you know even entertainment and leisure it could be amusement parks or uh, you know things like that so i think there are these are the sectors which will disproportionately benefit and we have seen this play out not just in the us in the last century but also in china in the last uh, couple of decades and lot of these sectors are very nascent in the evolution in india so let's take the example of the restaurant industry uh recently we invested in burger kings master franchise in india which went public in uh, you know november last year burger king in india currently only has 250 restaurants whereas in us they will have more than you know 2000 restaurants so we believe over the next decade it can be you know close to 1000 restaurants in india so you business can grow almost four to five fold uh, in the coming decade or so and like that there are many such examples of industries which will uh, benefit from this consumer discretionary income rise and we try and sort of uh, position our portfolio to benefit from some of these trends sorry yeah absolutely you know uh, thank you thank thank thanks for the insight just to add to what uh, saket mentioned um, so uh, we were uh, i was actually doing the research on the number of sqs that are available in india um for people to consume uh, interestingly so there are only close to 200 i think 220 to 250 million sqs that are available in india you know either with, whether it is made in india or we import from other countries as well but whereas um, china has close to 1 billion sqs so the amount of consumption capacity there in china is almost fourfold or fivefold uh, because of the availability at the same time the manufacturing capacity that they have to sakets point just to add to that you know there has been lot of d2c consumer brands that are you know coming up in india which are actually being uh, embraced by the venture capitalists you know there has been lot of capital that flow into lot of d2c you know startups which are doing really well exceedingly well and i think that trend is going to grow big in the next couple of uh, you know in the next years to come um, and uh, With, with the you know consumption capacity that people have you know they are looking for new choices you know especially the gen zs they they want newer opportunities and newer varieties so there is a humongous scope you know if if you if you are in the space you know come explore india you know is what i would say yeah uh, if i can maybe kiran add one more point uh, here that uh, sure. if you look at you know the experience in the us or china in the last decade or two lot of wealth in public markets has been created by the technology consumer tech businesses whether it is the fang stocks in the us context 
or you know uh, companies like Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu in China. Uh, like you mentioned, in India, there are 35 unicorns, uh, which are you know consumer tech firms which have been funded, they're billion dollar uh, plus in valuation, but all of them currently are in the private equity domain where you can get exposure to those businesses only through a venture capital or a private equity fund. What will change in the next 12 to 18 months in India is that a lot of these unicorns will go public uh, in India or in uh, you know other exchanges around the world. And we believe that the consumer tech play, which has been a big wealth creator in US and China, will also play out in India. And, and I think this will become more a public market play going forward in the next decade uh, than the sort of VC world that uh, we have seen in the previous uh, sort of uh, 8 to 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Wealth creation happening with IPO market. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll uh, start kind of the second round. So Manisha, let me come to you. So you, you work on, uh, you know, we briefly discussed on the VC opportunities and the startup opportunities as well. So you work in the real estate space as well. Uh, yes. So what what are the trends that you're seeing in the real estate per se, you know, uh, in India, um, in the post post pandemic world? Okay. So uh, first of all, uh, post pandemic world is quite different from the pre COVID world. Uh, as you also rightly pointed out in the previous session, uh, government is helping investors a lot by bringing in new policies, by bringing in new regulations. So rightly so has, with, has happened with uh, real estate uh, sector as well. Uh, when you see residential sector, uh, you know, uh, we have a new uh, regulatory body now, which is uh, a real, real estate regulatory uh, body uh, called RERA. Now, with the coming in of RERA, there has been a lot of stabilization which has happened in the real estate segment as such, which was not available to investors earlier. Uh, everything would happen at whims and fancies of a developer, but that's not the case now. Uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial is, is, is not a very attractive asset class right now. Uh, Primarily so because uh, of yield compression, which happens in any asset class. So currently your commercial is undergoing a yield compression. Also, you know, during pandemic, what has happened is a lot of financial institutions, consultancy, law firms have moved their entire work culture to work from home. And uh, which is also reflected in your uh, REITs that are listed on, on the public mar market. The distribution yields for most REITs have gone down uh, by 1% to 2% only because most offices have given up on their leases and given up on their office uh, places. So, uh, you know, right now is, is not a time where I feel families uh, should look at uh, commercial real estate. Resi doesn't doesn't give you a great yield from investment perspective. Uh, it gives you about three to four odd percent. Um, you know what has also emerged in in your, because of pandemic and because of consumerism. Uh, you know, uh, and the entire ordering from online and and uh, the new trends that have emerged after pandemic. Uh, a new asset class has ga gained a lot of momentum, which is your industrial real estate or your uh, logistics uh, warehouse, uh, you know, uh, logistics parks have have primarily gained uh, a big momentum due to 
you know many factors now one is your changed consumer behavior uh, a lot of online ordering is happening post pandemic which was not happening earlier in india your regulatory requirements have changed and government wants to really uh, emphasize on this sector and so how is it doing so by moving unorganized to grade a uh, there's there's a lot of unorganized uh, warehousing stock which is available and because of the new regulations they no more can continue being unorganized they have they been forced to move to a proper uh, you know grade a warehouse in absence of that there are statutory penalties uh, you know third i would i would like to say the turnaround time or a turnaround cycle for a logistics park right from doing a due diligence on a land to leasing it out construction of a warehouse is, is and you know doing an exit is about 4 years while similar case if you if i were to take for a rsi or for a com, you know a commercial uh, real estate the project entire turnaround time you know from due diligence to exit would be about 6 7 years so that again makes your uh, logistics more favorable than than the other two asset classes there are many drivers uh, to to uh, uh, industrial real estate apart from what i've mentioned like you know you rightly pointed out we are going to be a 1 billion indian internet users by 2030 and right now we are the second largest indian market globally and that is rapidly changing because of the changed uh, behavior and uh, you know the data cost uh, or the data prices have been reduced by 95% since 2014 the the other interesting fact if you see right now the online retail penetration for india is just 3% while if i were to take the same number for us it's about 20% uh if i were to take the same number for china it's 26% uh while if you look at Thai, uh, thailand and malaysia uh, you know it's about 2% and 3% respectively so uh, there is a huge uh, scope uh, there is about 4 billion dollar uh, which has already come in through global institution Uh, like your cppib your blackstones uh, hey, uh, so, cool. yeah hey monisha you know thank you i mean i think just to add to monisha's point right you know i think three three primary asset classes are emerging in india you know in the real estate space if you are looking into that one i think is warehousing and logistics as monisha rightly pointed out uh, and which is which by the way you know is supposed to generate you very good yield you know uh, uh to i think early to mid teens um and the second area is the cold storage and the third area is data center so if any of your families or invested basis looking into uh, these three asset classes i think uh, uh, there is a humongous scope again uh, we are at a very very early you know nascent stages and i think there is lot of scope you know in these yeah. three primary asset classes yeah Definitely. so uh, Sure. Uh, thank you, Manisha. I think on Kiran, that. Kiran, I'd like to add one more point. Yeah, I'd like to add one more yeah. point to real estate. Like we spoke about, yeah, housing definitely. Uh, they don't yield as well, you know, uh, as other uh, asset classes are uh, yielding to family offices. But due to work from home economy and you know savings that uh, you know uh, you know double income families made, so we have recently seen. uh quite a demand on the residential side so uh so there could be additional you know uh, uh as a result there's a high demand for um, 
ancillary housing ancillary industries like cement steel electrical uh, accessories paints so which could you know which family offices could look at either through public markets or uh, you know pre ipo series series stage Yeah, absolutely. Good, thank you. So I think we are running out of time, so I just want to cover you know, two more questions. So Kuntal, let me come to you, right? Um, so we briefly touched on how the uh, um, the regulatory environment is changing here in India. So if you have to advise, you know, the group on how to navigate or how to invest into the Indian market, um, again, I'm trying to ask so many loaded questions here. Uh, so what are three factors that you would, you know? Uh, three three things to keep in mind are three things that you know the investor base should navigate uh, or keep in mind while investing into india yeah so i think uh, uh, you are right it's a very loaded question i'll try and you know do justice to the question which you have placed for me if i was to uh, look at three fundamental points which uh, investor should be mindful of when they are looking to invest in india one would be to minimize the uh, uh you know limiting the liability you know uh, ring fencing the uh, head office situated outside of india from their uh, investment into india that's the first key point which i would look into second would be i would be looking at uh, the uh, structuring of my investment strategy that is in what route i will enter india uh whether it would be a direct fdi investment or whether it is going to be through a fund structure uh whether i'm going to use any other jurisdiction uh in comparison to the jurisdiction where head office is situated or the holding company is situated and third would be what is the best way to uh minimize the tax liability on repatriation of the income or the gain uh, which one would make after having successfully identified the opportunity and then looking to exit from india so these are the three fundamental points which i would look into no that's great thank you thank you so much uh, i we almost ran out of time but like uh, with mark's permission i'll i'll just go around the screen um uh, and i think i'll i'll start with sakit you know uh, sakit uh, just brief you know 30 seconds so let me put it this way i don't have million dollars how much should i give okay let's say i am giving you half a million dollars as of today which asset classes would you like to invest in india where would you like to bet and the bullish sectors for the next 2 to 5 years I think uh, if you look at India you know uh, apart from the fact that we are recovering from the pandemic India is also uh, going through a very strong cyclical recovery and uh, we believe that uh, small and mid cap equities generally tend to do well uh, in a cyclical recovery so I would uh, put all my money in uh, small and mid cap public equities Oh no no diversification and uh, no I think uh, for at least for next 2 3 years we would be comfortable owning uh, i mean you can build a portfolio in public equities and have diversification across sectors but i think uh, small and mid caps which have sort of underperformed uh, over the last 3 years probably look the best way to play this uh, cyclical recovery okay jyoti same question 
So I would also uh, go with Sakir on that. I'll look at uh, small and mid-cap public uh, equities. I would also look at uh, some pre-IPO opportunities in the consumption space, like I said, you know, housing ancillary. So that would be my bet. And uh, apart from financial uh, performance and long-term, you know, investment uh, objective, I would also look at sustainability uh, as a key factor of my investment decision. Perfect. Okay. Same question to Malaysia, but not the same answers, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it really depends upon your uh, risk appetite and a lot of other things before uh, we construct a portfolio. So there can't be like one bill that fits everyone. Uh, but however, giving you know, if if I were to deploy it in in the way I would do my personal investments, is 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 something that I would definitely go for uh, public markets. I, you cannot really avoid uh, listed equity in in a portfolio. So, and mid cap and small cap have had their good share and good uh, rally in in your recent past. So there definitely is a case to have some bit of investments there. But having said that, one should also look at some amount of uh, structured credit. Uh, uh, structured debt and uh, you know again private equity would depend upon uh, a lot of other parameters so so i would i would personally uh, would would uh, do a, a more evaluation than than decide something which is spur of the moment so yes i would i would probably look at uh, you know uh, structured debt structured credit and uh, some amount of uh, you know your listed stocks Okay. okay. So, since in the Kuntal is from uh, Mark, I'm talking with uh, Kuntal is not from the investing background. So, one piece of advice for foreign investors to enter into India, or uh, let's say, uh, yeah, one that that is a No, I think uh, I will. Uh, uh, my advice would be to you know be very absolutely clear on their entry strategy, uh, keeping in mind the. Uh, duration of their exposure to India and also keeping in mind in what form they would like to realize their uh, gains or returns from investment. Uh, because, you know, uh, uh, there is always a good opportunity, but unless you make it uh, 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 worthwhile for you by structuring your entry strategy, I think it will not be efficient and you will not get the right return on your investment. Perfect. Thank you. I think on that note, I'd really like like to thank all the panelists before, you know, and, uh, you know, thank you so much. Um, those were very uh, solid insights and pragmatic insights. And uh, thanks once again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you, Kiran and Mark. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you, Kiran. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Kiran and Mark, for this opportunity. No, it's, it's, it's a Thank you. So I think, yeah. Uh, moving on, I think we'll quickly move on to the next panel. Uh, uh, so, as I always tell, I think diversification, differentiation, and liquidity is your mantra for success, right? So, from the first panel, I think the consensus was public e- public equities and the structured credit. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you know I, I can bring a diff- different set of opinion from the next set of panelists here because. They've been deeply invested in the technology space, in the VC. Uh, they are uh, venture capitalists themselves. They have generated um, exponential returns for themselves and for the funds. Uh, so without further ado, let, let me uh, get started. Uh, 
with the introductions uh, we'll go first to sanjay sanjay a brief intro about you the work you do sure thanks kiran thank you so much uh, so we are part of uh, meta ventures family office and i run across 100x.vc which is a first check uh, venture fund uh, we have invested in 39 deals in last one year and uh, we through meta ventures we invest across the globe 100x.vc is a semi registered fund we invest only in indian startups personally um, through the family office we have invested over 150 odd companies and uh, angel investing has been very rewarding early stage our irr has been upwards of 100% cash on cash and two unicorns in the portfolio so have been a great journey uh, last 11 years investing in startups awesome awesome uh, just to intro about sanjay as well you know sorry forgot to mention so he has been rewarded a hall of fame you know, by type and i'm sure most of you have heard of type so uh, they have rewarded sanjay the hall of fame uh, in 2020 i think i was in mumbai then um, sanjay uh, so moving on akash uh, brief intro about you thank you kiran uh, hi guys so i am basically uh, very vested and deeply entrenched in the startup ecosystem uh, been a founder since 2014 15 i had an online grocery delivery company called doodwala which we eventually exited in 2019 uh, following which i joined all spiel as an investor and we are predominantly a growth stage series a to series b investor focused on technology companies the idea is to focus uh, more so on companies which are catering to large sectors large mass sectors and uh, sorting inefficiencies like we all know emerging markets are essentially full of inefficiencies across the board and the idea is that inefficiencies although they create jobs they do yield to uh, they do have yet lesser yield and higher costs so as far as we're concerned we're looking for companies which basically use technology to remove these inefficiencies and in effect create large companies with uh, strong business fundamentals and large profit pools awesome thank you uh, so kumaran uh, brief intro about you and the work that you do thanks kiran so i'm a portfolio manager uh, who's been into the investment space for more than 15 years uh, manage uh, uh, am of close to about 1 billion dollar across platforms and across asset classes Uh, be it intra real estate or so, and my current shoulders, uh, we've sta- uh, established and set up a alternative investment platform for the emergence of uh, AAF, which has been in the India only in the past three, four, five, six years. So set up for a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate in uh, India and running it successfully, which is again yielding in the range of fifteen uh, to eighteen uh, percent, predominantly into real estate space. Sir, cool. Thank you. So we have Amish also joining us. So hey, Amish, you know, uh, brief intro about you, the work that you do, please. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kiran. Uh, thanks, Mark, uh, for uh, having the opportunity. Uh, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Amish Chalandwala, Managing Director at Complex Capital. Uh, I've been based in New York since 2000, uh, having a diversified experience uh, across capital raising and corporate consulting, which I've specialized. I look at three markets: U.S., Pan Asia, and India. 
And within those, I try and raise capital for private equity and venture fund managers and opportunities of private companies, as well as I provide corporate consulting to U.S.-India corridor companies, which uh, want to expand and scale uh, geographically, uh, globally. Awesome. U.S.-India corridor is something that we uh, I, I closely work and I'm still trying to work with. I think I have a lot, like, lot of questions, so we'll come to that in a bit. So, <laughs> such, sure. yeah. Sanjay, so let me let me start with you. Uh, so you've been a very prolific angel investor, you know, made uh, exceedingly exponential good returns in the in, in the Indian space. Uh, so just brief us about like uh, you know, as a country, you know, where are we at the moment with regards to the startup scene? And um, you know, going back to my same question again, you know, for the foreign investors who are looking to you know come and invest into India. Um, so where, where should they start? Where should they start looking into the opportunities? So someone sitting in New York, how should they start you know, looking into the opportunities and then how should they start deploying capital? Sanjay, you're on mute. Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm on mute. So I, I think, uh, Kiran, a uh, lot of opportunities uh, from a perspective for startup ecosystem, alternative investments. Uh, we have robust, uh, you know, ecosystem uh, in India, uh, almost like 12,000 plus startups, which has been created across in last one year, 2020, uh, even with pandemic, we added across 1,600 plus startups. We added 12 unicorns uh, uh, in 2020, total now 38 unicorns in India. Uh, we are three and a half billion dollar in between Jan to December in 2020, uh, which got received across invested. Now we have a corporate venture capital which is investing uh, into India and uh, around 500 plus active uh, incubators which are there and uh, 300 plus active uh, institutional investors uh, which are there kind of. So India, you know, key trends which I would say across which strengthens the India's startup ecosystem. One, we have an accelerated digital economy uh, thanks to Geo. Uh, things have changed drastically in last one or two years, if I have to say. And, uh, uh, you know, pandemic created a shift in the founder's playbook. Now world is at their feet. They can, they, they can work across and scale business globally. Uh, that's the vision. Deep tech is really taking deep roots in India. Amazing deep tech companies are really coming across. India is now home of unicorns uh, kind of stuff and strong investor uh, commitment. Domestic capital is growing uh, in multi-folds uh, kind of stuff and consistent corporate participation. I think that's a big uh, thumbs up which has happened in last two, three years. And uh, new uh, startup hubs are getting created across in various uh, cities, small cities, tier two, tier three towns. Uh, and that active participation is changing. Totally, we funded 881 deals in India. Uh, active investor were around 1,476. Top three sectors were edtech, fintech, and foodtech. Uh, you know, by in terms of the uh, funding amount, and in terms of the number of deals which happened across last year was fintech, edtech, and healthtech. Uh, Bangalore still uh, takes away the largest chunk followed by Delhi and then by the Mumbai in terms of the number of deals uh, which are happening across. So, I, I mean, we are going to see across flurry of uh, 
IPOs being happening across with uh, startups in India getting across listed. That trend is going to change many things uh, for startup ecosystem in India. So it, it's a huge uh, opportunity and a market. Today also, if you look into the e-commerce market, which is the, has been the poster boy for everything, uh, huge opportunity. We are still uh, only going uh, only going to be 11% of the total retail market in 2025. So we are right now only around 4% kind of stuff. And D2C brands are growing rapidly. Uh, I mean, there are uh, so many brands which are now 100 crore direct-to-consumer brands which has been created across in India. Uh, so, so, you know, if you look into the affluent class, the elite class, uh, those were not just the only target focus. Now we've got the next billion in aspirers which are joining that, uh, you know, buyer's pool. So, so that's, I would say, across on the India story. Hope it helps. Absolutely. You know, thank you. Thank you so much for the macro perspective. So, so um, you know, go, going back to my another question, right, Sanjay? So, say if someone is sitting in New York or someone is sitting in Texas or Silicon Valley, and if they would like to come and navigate the Indian market or if they would like to capture some of these opportunities there and ride the wave of the India's growth story, where should they start? You know, how should they start looking into deploying capital, or uh, what? What is the starting point for them? I think uh, the best uh, starting point would be working with some fund manager, uh, getting hands around the whole market, understanding the lay of the land. There are quite a lot of angel networks which are uh, uh, available for anybody to join if you want to do angel investing. Try to put small checks, but I think. The best bet would be working with any fund manager and uh, taking fund into various funds which have been very successful in India. Quite a lot of funds have been, uh, while we hear stories about, you know, uh, funds not returning capital to LPs, in India the story is different. It has been uh, quite a lot of successful funds which has given fantastic returns to their LPs. So while we at 100x.vc, just as a uh, disclaimer, we don't, do third-party capital, we just invest our prop capital of family. But there are quite a lot of funds. Anybody needing help, happy to introduce. Thank you. Good. So let me come to you, Akash. You know, so you worked, uh, you you're working with this VC fund, which is at the London India corridor, right? So you do investments both in London and India. So so what are some of the trends that you are looking out, you are picking in India and? Uh, so some of the sectors that investors has to be invested in the next two to five years. Sure. So I think taking off from what uh, Sanjay said, he summed up pretty beautifully I mean, the Indian landscape. Uh, the way we look at India, of course, uh, given sort of on the backdrop of what's happened with uh, over the last four years, right? We've seen movement in the last four years that we haven't seen in the last, I'd say, about 14 years. And that's fundamentally because of the infrastructure that was established, right? But talking about... 700 million people on mobile internet right now. And this is almost twice the population of the United States. So you've generally got India, which has now become digitized. And that's a big plus because you suddenly are not talking about getting people online. They're already there, right? So that's one. Even something like, uh, you know, content consumption. If you look at uh, uh, sort of per user uh, data consumption per month, it's gone up almost 13, 14x. It's about 15 GB per month per user right now. 
that just basically shows you that India essentially is either transacting online or consuming online. And right. And, and given how fragmented we all are, this is happening across various different uh, languages. And that's quite interesting because that much opportunity is left, uh, uh, you know, for startup founders to actually create innovative solutions out there. The way we evaluate the new startup uh, landscape and why I call it new is because we're pretty much in startup 2.0. Startup 1.0, which you'll obviously know about, uh, that's Flipkart, Big Basket and the likes. These guys essentially spend a majority of their resources and time just getting people to transact online. First come online and then transact online and make payments online. And that's why you had sort of logistics and you had uh, payments and, you know, all of these things really become uh, uh, the prime focus for all of these companies. Uh, so it was basically about getting consumers online and making the most of the scale that India had to offer. Now startup 2.0 is a little different. People don't spend, companies don't spend that much time and resources. If they have the right product, if they have the right customer experience, consumers will flock on, right? So I think that's a given. Essentially, the way we analyze this space is that which companies can now form large companies in their own rights with very massive profit pools, right? So ARPU is a concern. It's always been, we're pretty aware that Facebooks and Googles of the world essentially currently look at India as a DAU and an MAU play. Uh, what remains to be seen is how, how these companies actually evolve to becoming large profitable entities by themselves. And that's what pretty much we're here to do, right? So we, we hope to use, uh, sort of our experience, our network, uh, across the board and just to help founders and help companies attain that scale and make the most of that scale by getting their ARPUs up, getting their sort of profit pools intact. And I think that's pretty much the next uh, sort of war that's going to be on the India turf. And we're seeing pretty positive signs. I think especially after the pandemic, you've seen a lot of companies that have actually, uh, you know, come out and really uh, streamline their financials, right? They focus less on spending and marketing. They focus more on customer experience. They focus more on retention. And I think these metrics bode very well for, for the ecosystem in general, because that just shows this, the kind of focus that's being given uh, to the formulation of larger entities, which are sort of self-sustainable. And I think essentially that's what it's about, right? No investor, uh, I, I think at least, at least as far as we're concerned, we're very founder focused. We are founder founders. Uh, we're not looking at uh, M&As and getting acquired as, as an exit route for us, right? So for us, uh, can the company have a large enough cash balance in the next 5, 10, 15 years such that they can essentially buy off the stake of existing investors, right? And that would be uh, sort of the optimal exit scenario for any investor, right? Because you've really created something purposeful and meaningful. So that's pretty much uh, the way we at Earth Speed look at, uh, at the entire ecosystem. Uh, can, I can I ask a quick question? You mentioned founders and uh, and taking money or exits. What 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 does the secondary market look like inside India today? The secondary market is in fact uh, something that we as a fund are quite excited about. So although we are an early stage fund, uh, we keep having conversations with our limited partners and and sort of fellow investors as to how we can uh, make the most of what's happening with startup 2.0. So, right. So you have say a Zomato or a Policy Bazaar. Uh, all of these companies going in for an IPO over the next six to 12 months. And that's really going to set the benchmark for secondary transactions somewhere because when it comes to secondaries, it's uh, sort of firms looking to buy out uh, ESOPs, firms looking to buy out earlier investors, take common stocks into companies. And the only thing which entices uh, such funds 
is that uh, there is a, uh, an exit down the horizon. Right? So they're not really investing for the life cycle of the entire company. They're looking at a three to maximum five year investment where they get to recoup about three to four X. So secondaries is going to be something which will get a lot more focus now. And we already know of a lot of couple of investors and we've been speaking to them and, and they're, they're showing a lot of uh, interest and enthusiasm as far as the secondary market is concerned. So that's definitely something which will really explode once we have a couple of successful IPOs, which by the way, hasn't happened till date, right? So we've had very, very few IPOs and a couple of these companies really going and getting valued at $5 billion, $8 billion, uh, which is what Zomato is actually expecting. Uh, that should really open the floodgates. And actually, just, just to comment, you know, to what Akash said, right, you know, so the secondary market is actually active with regards to the old economy market already. Uh, so when I meant by old economy, the manufacturing companies or petrochemical companies, you know, the secondary market has been active and there are like a lot of funds, you know, who are playing that game. When it comes to the new age economy uh, and the new age companies, internet, you know, economy companies, you know, as Akash rightly pointed out, you know, it is picking up a lot. You know, I think we will, uh, I, I on a personal note, I'm very bullish and I think we will see a lot of trends coming in the space. Uh, it's just that there is something that has to be done on the regulatory side as well, you know, which is being worked on at the moment. Uh, but I think uh, overall the market is very bullish. I think let me move to Amish and then I'll come to Kumaran. So Amish. So you work on the U.S.-India corridor. So when you work with investors, you know, in uh, New York or United States, so w- what is the viewpoint of India? You know, or, uh, you know, what are the bullish about and what are the concerns about? You know, and, and yes, also, sir. and also, sorry, and also the sectors generally the uh, investors look into uh, as of today in you know into India. So see, India is one of the largest uh, populous markets uh, after China. And I think uh, what I say uh, over the last uh, five years that I've been saying, it's the country that ha- that's time has come. So India is the country whose time has come. Now, you can slice and dice it in many different ways. Uh, family offices and institutions look at with one view, whereas the retail investors globally look India slightly differently. So when I have conversations with uh, global investors, uh, it's always a starting point. Uh, is it the first time they are coming into India? Do they want to come in more for a shorter uh, lifespan or a long-term relationship? And that really defines the public markets versus private. And if they are ready to take more investment risk, what uh, Sanjay mentioned in Akash, that's kind of where I think the ecosystem in the venture and the private equity has kind of more or less matured in the last 10 years. Uh, We're still nascent, I would say, but there's a lot of activity happening. And uh, the VC market is now probably the third largest uh, behind Silicon Valley and, uh, and China. So, Certainly, I think uh, I say it again, it's India is the country whose time has come. One has to be cautious. Uh, we had earlier uh, uh, one of them speak about the uh, tax rebates and, and kind of the, uh, the, the uh, retrospect uh, impact, right? So all of those uncertainties, I think pick any emerging markets, you would see those sort of uncertainty elements and kind of the maturing and fine-tuning of the policies. But within that, Always can you look at places, opportunities for money. As Sanjay mentioned, I think for somebody who is new to India, the best bet would be to look for either a listed uh, space manager who's good at, let's say, across small, mid-cap and large-cap. And same in the private equity venture, if there is a manager that they can identify, uh, certainly that is a good point to start. Unlike U.S. and China, we don't see a lot of fund of funds on India. 
which probably is one layer above uh, any of these. But there are a couple of them, uh, and, and uh, I don't think the fund of fund market in India is likely to rise. But certainly the manager routes on public markets, private markets, both could be a good, interesting way to start uh, in that space. And of course, the caution one would always need to see is the FX uh, risk and the uh, loss uh, on rupee, which traditionally is about 3% uh, over the historical period that we have seen. Absolutely. I think there are decent hedging mechanisms in that some of the uh, fund managers that do, you know, uh, execute uh, while putting uh, a fund together. So uh, I agree. Yeah, three to four percent needs to be accounted into whenever you are yeah. into a matching economy step. Yeah. So uh, Kumaran, let me come to you. So you invest in real estate and then you've been doing like a lot of structured credit of late. So what are some of the trends that you are seeing in that space and uh, any pointers for uh, you know, the audience here? Sure. Uh, thanks, Kiran. So uh, in Arsenal space, uh, real estate occupies uh, more or less almost 70% of the space. I mean, uh, that's predominantly because it was earlier in inquiry. Now it's slowly moving to the structure grade with all the experiences of uh, earlier uh, uh, past ones. So uh, the structure credit is nothing but a combination of an equity with a flavor of debt, whereas you're just uh, arresting your, I mean, you're, you're making sure that you're getting exit within the certain channel. And uh, there is a exit strategy which is already formed at the time of investment. And there is a, a correct set framework and the path to exit is there. So that, that's all the structured credit as one. And uh, of course, since it's a senior and uh, more secured, People prefer this. Uh, that, that's how, if you can see, even in real estate, uh, say uh, in earlier 2000s, there were a lot of pure private equity plays which comes in. Now it's slowly turning towards the structure credit. So such evolution is happening one, and it's happening for a reason uh, predominantly. And two, structure credit also ensures. I mean, the structure credit is now getting into a place where it's coming into at various stages of the investment. It is not just early stage and wait till the life cycle of the project or life cycle of the asset to throw you the investment back with with returns. It, it's like, uh, say, come into stage one or come into stage two or come into stage three. It could be a mid-stage or it could be an early stage or a, a late stage, depending upon the risk appetite, depending upon your uh, levels of uh, uh, conviction on the product. So that's happening because earlier structure credit was happening only in the early stage of the investments where the risks were a little higher. But now it's becoming possible. Uh, of course, the capital, uh, the liquidity, uh, which is, there, there's a false sense of liquidity in India. The capital market in India currently is not that great because especially in the credit space, uh, banks are holding a lot of liquidity, but it's not going into the corporates much. Uh, that's creating a vacuum. So that's where the structure credit is occupying and then filling into the shoes trying to give a focused uh, attention to these uh, needs. So that is slowly going up and uh, as also try to bring in more investor confidence on such investments, even cross-border or internally as well, more more from an institutional point of view or from a say, family office or, 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 a, or a individual retail investor's point of view. So this is so, only and yeah. Sure, thank you. I mean, so what kind of yields someone can look into this particular so structure credit as it as i said uh, since it's moving more closer to the less risk and uh, uh, more definite returns 
so it it ranges from uh, in india at a gross level it ranges from uh, any, anywhere between 15 to 20% so it, it depends on at what stage you take the risk this is at a gross level pre tax and pre uh, expenses might be closer to around uh, it still it will be a double digit in india in india level uh, which which is reason for now and thanks to uh, uh, i mean uh, as jyoti and manisha pointed out the rera and other regulatory uh, reforms have made this exit easier one and uh, monitoring or uh, even managing this investment easier across the platforms so sure. that brings yeah. in some yeah. cool so one one follow up on that so say if, again uh, if someone wants to come and invest you know what is the best preferred route and where should they start okay i'll again look back to give you an experience of the past so that we can uh, uh, look front See the back. What earlier happened was in the early uh, or in the mid 2000s, there were private equity who were straight away coming and investing, or are the global players who straight away coming and investing in the uh, directly the developers or, or the or the, uh, the promoters of the companies who were directly into the investment space or or into the development space. So what went wrong was because the developers had very little control over the uh, other aspects like approval, land, and other litigations aspects. and since they were directly investing into the company they had to rely on the uh, uh, ground to the company for the information or uh, to manage all the litigation aspects so that has made them to learn the experience so now the right route would be to have a managing partner here who will try to assess the risk one uh, and try to uh, address the exact needs and try to match the appetite along with the risk levels so that would be the right mode rather than investing at an entity level to uh, in an in, in a in a rush to get a more returns got it okay so find a local partner who understands the risk who can analyze the risk who can do the dd for you and to diversify per se yes uh, help help you invest you know based on the risk factor thank you thank you so much so sanjay you know uh, coming to you right uh, so you have done like like lot of investments in uh, india and then us and in the corridor itself um so what are some of the sectors that you are bullish on um number 1 and number 2 uh as with any investments uh in investment is subject to risk you know uh so what are some of the pitfalls you know that you know you uh, you have seen and you would recommend the investors here uh to take care of while investing into this particular asset class sure uh, happy to share that kiran so basically uh, in the current i mean coming uh, sectors trends keep on changing but what we are currently seeing across and where we are working very closely to invest across is in the, with the indian market is where we are seeing future of work remote technologies uh, anything which is driving home economy uh, what is working across on uh, safety cleanliness sanitization health hygiene wellness deep tech ai saas remains uh, uh, a favorite ever evergreen uh, agritech is growing very rapidly uh, within the portfolio so i think these are couple of uh, uh, you know uh, sectors which are very very interesting for us uh, in terms of things which we are not closely looking is uh, travel tourism hospitality uh, we are avoiding uh, anything which is luxury goods uh, jewelry apparel kind of stuff real estate uh, 
you know any training classes coaching classes uh, we are avoiding uh, retail tech uh, is something what we are avoiding so this is these are the you know sectors which are there uh, which uh, we are looking uh, closely and monitoring them on a regular basis on the risk side the way i see across kiran and my understanding is in the startup world risk is 1x your upside is unlimited this is the only asset class where you can actually influence an outcome today for example uh, you know you buy real estate listed equities any of this uh, you know you can't influence the price movement or anything to that you know you buy, buy across stock of reliance you will not be able to influence the price but when you work with startups this is like a primary investment going into the company and you work closely you can actually work and give the startup a direction and influence an outcome so i feel this is the safest asset class which anybody can invest into you need to think this as a proper business and uh, it, the upside is unlimited you can't think across uh, you know 1000x 3000x kind of stuff in listed equity in startups the, those are all things which are possible right and and you know we we always look upon we focus on you know not the frequency of our correctness we we will fail multiple times this is not real estate where we want to be right every time we invest uh, we we don't focus on frequency of correctness but we see the magnitude of our correctness right so power law comes at play when we invest in startups we don't invest into a startup because it will not fail we invest in startups because if it becomes right how big it will be uh, how world changing that startup would be and and 5% of the deals actually define uh, success so so i mean that's the thesis which which has made our uh, investing very very successful we will look for all the moonshots and uh, you know we, we we just go for that all, every deal we look individually and every time we look for an outlier hit kind of stuff awesome yeah it is the power of luck you know as you rightly said you know uh, in this particular asset class uh, so uh, akash same same question to you but uh, in so what, what sectors are you bullish on or what sectors are you looking you know from the fund perspective and uh, you know for for a foreign investor you know to invest along with you so what is the best preferred route um, that you would suggest so i think i'll take the second question first uh, you know like everyone pointed out uh, there truly is only one way to navigate india and that is especially as far as uh, the new economy which is the technology space is concerned and that is to essentially be very directly involved right so you can't uh, india is such a large and complex uh, economy population country that you can't really have uh, uh, something which has worked elsewhere work here and sort of you know those copycat models and we've seen that across the board right we've seen it uh, uh, in various different segments that that uh, the localization that's present here is to another level right so you need uh, Uh, you need someone who really understands uh, uh, how how localized every single product uh, every single company needs to be uh, how fragmented the market is how different and varied consumer behavior is and and that's pretty much uh, game changing i mean even in, even in china if you see china pretty much has uh, uh, you know one standard sort of uh, uh, scale formula which can actually work because it's not that diverse uh, a country 
uh, and pretty much like every other country out there, not like India, right? India is literally uh, 20, 25, 30 odd countries split in one. So we've got to, uh, so you can't expect someone to really invest in India not being very deeply entrenched. You need to either have a very, either have a team, like in our case, we have a fully focused India-centric team based out of here. Uh, everyone in our team has experience from the ecosystem and understands companies and products uh, tailor-made for uh, the subcontinent. So I think uh, either you have a direct team which is really focused and has the experience, or you partner with with investors and you co-invest with investors who, who have an India presence and a strong India presence. I think there's no two ways about that, right? So it, it would be, uh, uh, you know, a little callous to actually go invest in India without knowing much uh, about uh, uh, about the Indian ecosystem, right? So that's one. Uh, as far as the sectors are concerned, we focus on uh, on on sectors and subsectors which are pretty much nascent and which one can say it's still still at day one. Uh, so, for example, education is something that everyone likes, but we've been pretty much following since much before the pandemic, right? And and rightly so. Uh, these are these are companies working on very high cross margins uh, at scale. These are companies which uh, basically uh, have very strong network effects, right? So once the brand is created, uh, you can really have very strong network effects like the way you have in offline institutions. And given the demography that we have, right, with so many young people, the youngest uh, population in the world, education really has a long way and a long evolution to go. Uh, We're also very excited about financial services. So that could be in both, uh, uh, say, alternate lending and robo-advisory and wealth management. I think Zeroda is a prime example of how fast the wealth management category is growing, and that's because millennials are the new face, right? So millennials are basically defining uh, uh, a very different way of existing compared to what the previous generations had, right? So we want experiences over assets. We're sort of shifting from very fixed uh, real estate asset mindset uh, to financial assets, and I think that's a big change. Uh, In terms of alternate lending, I believe, uh, we believe that uh, uh, 300 million people, I think, are, are, are the people with actually some sort of a credit score in India. And that's literally less than a fourth of the population, right? So you've got uh, a mammoth space there for companies to come and innovate in the alternate lending segment, whether it's in B2C or B2B. Uh, and that's going to be very exciting. So you will see the formulation of very large companies and not just one or two winner-take-all companies, but possibly 20, 30 companies which cater to different market segments, forming large entities by themselves. Uh, agriculture logistics, for obvious reasons, we are an agrarian society and that, that remains exciting. SaaS is quite a deep enabler for all of these sectors. Another sector which is uh, something that we are uh, excited about, like many other, other venture uh, capitalists, is the social commerce segment. Right? So e-commerce, which is supposed to be a $20 billion uh, segment right now, social commerce would possibly be $60 billion by, by 2030. Right? And India, given the fact that we are a trust deficit society, we transact on a social commerce model. So I think, uh, you know, for us, business fundamentals, clear strategy, large market, and these are the segments that sort of promise everything. And that's what uh, excites us the most. Interesting. You know, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on social commerce and can't agree more. Yeah. So Amish, Ami, uh, uh, so let me come to you. So uh, so when, when you work with the global investors, you know, um, especially whether uh, investing into Indian funds or uh, working with the Indian family offices, working uh, to deploy some capital into the U.S. funds. Uh, uh, Just help us understand, you know, the appetite of, you know, the global investor base as of today, you know, you know, into 
in investing into India and what what primary sectors are they looking at at the moment? I think uh, one can look at two ways. Uh, what is the current uh, appetite, which is slightly subdued still, I would say, we are not out of the pandemic, uh, we are not out of the woods yet. So whether it's India or any other country, having said that, uh, on a relative basis, India has been actually coming out fairly well from this pandemic situation. Now, businesses are getting, trying to get back to normal uh, and, and goods and services are being sold. Uh, the, the growth uh, is being forecasted at some decent numbers, uh, not back to the 8%, but certainly in a respectable number, which is probably much higher than what U.S. and developed economies look at. So when uh, investors from U.S. or other, other parts of the globe, they look at India, uh, sectors, I'm not personally too uh, uh, a fan of any sector-specific uh, themes or ideas. It's more the asset classes. And I think it just drives back to the points how long you want to take uh, uh, a bet on and and how much deep do you want to take the risk. So uh, given those two criteria, I think there is ample opportunities in India, whether it's in public markets, in privates, whether you want to do infrastructure, you want to do structured credit, you want to do early stage venture, late stage venture. And above all, the public markets is a good proxy. Uh, there was one statistic which came out on Bloomberg uh, a couple of weeks back. The last 35 years, if you look at the, uh, uh, let's say about 25 uh, stock exchange markets, India ranked second highest in terms of the growth and the annualized return. So it was probably about 135 annualized return over a period of 35 years. So investors may say, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of risk on India. Uh, you don't end up making money. But guess what? If you are able to withhold for 10 plus years, uh, I'm sure there are good opportunities you to find. There are ample bad opportunities that may be out there. As Sanjay said, uh, this is a game uh, where you are not investing in each one of them to be a home run. But you want to be thinking like that so that you can take them forward and, and help them. So I think the investors particularly want the risk uh, to be more subdued. Uh, many of them are uh, able to make and some are not. Awesome. Great. Thank you. So on that note, you know, just to follow up on that, like, so when you work with these investors, you know, how do you mitigate risk? You know, because uh, every opportunity comes with a risk. Uh, every asset class comes with the risk. Uh, of course, uh, it all depends on the risk appetite of the family or the investor, you know, that are investing into that particular asset class. But any specific risk mitigation measures that you have implemented and any insights for this group? Yeah, so see, I, I am more as an advisor. Uh, I don't uh, run uh, or manage uh, portfolios. So we uh, are basically uh, advisors to the opportunities, whether it's a fund manager or a private company, and connect them with institutional or family office investors. So the due diligence has been done by the investor. We facilitate the whole discussion, but I think it's very important to curate the right opportunities and then showcase it to the appropriate investors. So what I mean is, if I know an XYZ investor is looking at largely early stage venture, uh, then it's more appropriate to show that versus showing a publicly listed market and vice versa, right? So I think it's a very sophisticated matchmaking that in simple terms we try to uh, reflect upon, but I think we need to know in our business uh, where uh, it is relevant and automatically the list, uh, the, sorry, the risk dovetails into the, uh, the comfort zone of the investor. 
So whether it is uh, venture or listed space or private equity, I think we ought to do that homework before we showcase to any investors. But I think there are uh, there are a lot of different sub asset classes one can pick and choose for, uh, and and I think India is offering that uh, at this moment too. Okay, good. I think we are almost uh, we ran out of time. Uh, I'll, I'll actually have the last question to Kumaran, and we'll do one final round. Uh, so, Kumaran, to you. Uh, so, uh, any any suggestions for this group on how they should look into uh, uh, the real estate? You know, we briefly touched on that, but you know, real estate as an asset class, if someone has to navigate the Indian market, uh, what are like you know two three things that they need to be uh, considering? Okay, so uh, real estate as a asset class in India is going to stay long for for a while because anyway the asset is always in demand. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of caps is there and the uh, even end user demand which is already there. So that that way the business is going to be go on. So of course, how do we navigate the cycles in between that? That matters. So uh, we should not repeat the same mistakes as we did last time. As I said, as I said. Uh, not get into a direct uh, uh, relationship with the developers or the community which is into development directly because the professionalism is still getting groomed and it's not mature to the level to even appease the institutional capital uh, because their mentality is to the, the, the existing developer mentality is to grow the business in seven to ten years time frame. Whereas the institutional capital should look at these smaller turns, say three to four years or four to five years. So to do that, one, don't put all the eggs uh, in the same basket. So diversify. And diversify, how do you diversify that? Try to either invest through funds or have a team on ground to invest across the asset classes or across the platform. Make a platform, uh, do invest in it, and uh, try to be a little more specific in your needs like uh, safe residential allocate say 60% residential or 30% commercial or some emerging space like say warehousing logistics as someone sure. touched upon earlier and there is another emerging class which is data centers uh, thanks to the data center policy of uh, Indian government where the data has to be stored in the country it, it, you know, I mean the sensitive data so everyone is building up data centers across the city so yeah, yeah. so hey Kumran sorry to interrupt you I think yeah. Uh, Ambition Sanjay has a hard stop and I'll come to you in a bit. Uh, so Sanjay, go, uh, final thoughts, you know, um, I know, I know the answer, but I'm still asking, you know, half a billion dollars, you know, what do you bet, you know, for the next five years, you know, which asset class and what, what do you bet in India? I think uh, my focus is a singular focus, uh, startup as an asset class, especially early stage. And that's where I would say across putting uh, uh, all the focus and energy, uh, that's the best possible way for wealth creation and, you know, working across uh, with right fund managers, right investment partners uh, uh, is a great story. I mean, Amish, for example, uh, can help anybody find the right partners kind of uh, fund managers. Uh, I mean, just just work with the right people. India is just growing rapidly. It's, it's on a uh, accelerated pace. Uh, you know, when 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 there is a saying, you know, uh, which I would like to quote here. You know, if you got a, 
uh, you know lousy market even the best of the team will lose out uh even even uh, if you got a great market uh even the lousy team will make it so india is right now you know a great market so even a lousy fund manager will make some money but uh, you know you you always try to get across strike a magic when you get a great team and a great market so just find the right people to work with and i think uh, there is india is a great the next decade is for india Absolutely, can't agree more. Thank you, Sanjay. Thanks a lot, uh, Amish. You know, final words. Same question. Yeah, can't agree more to what Sanjay said. So I, I kept saying again, uh, India, the country whose time has come. I think the next decade, two things uh, we need to evaluate. Uh, relative speaking to other emerging economies, how does India stack up, right? And two, are there uh, any negative connotations uh, towards India? with respect to uh, the way the economy and the policies are being moving forward as long as uh, the leadership of modi government continues to do the pace at what it's supposed to i think there is a very strong uh, potential and there are lots of opportunities so i think uh, any investor who needs help all of us uh, on the panel i guess are happy to guide them and help them awesome thank you uh, last words akash Yeah, so I think uh, uh, taking off from what the other panelists just said, it's important to understand that India is uh, uh, the startup ecosystem in India is not what it was uh, five years or ten years back. It's changing dramatically. It's changing rapidly. Uh, we need to look at it with a new lens. We need to uh, not think of it as uh, some sort of a gold rush anymore. Although it is, uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunity, but. Uh, the opportunity is going to be there for uh, fund managers or funds that identify uh, companies uh, that have strong business fundamentals catering to a large market and the perspective basically needs to be one of uh, of large company creation versus uh, you know investing typically in a startup so i think that's that's really important uh, looking at it with a very different lens this is not startup 1.0 this is startup 2.0 which comes with a plethora of opportunities uh but a very different set of challenges that uh, founders need to navigate and investors need to be uh, abreast of these challenges so that they can actually help their founders uh, navigate them and provide the right insights which will help them do so thank you kumaran final words of that yeah india definitely is a growth story for the next decade as everyone says so uh, i i just touch upon one one point where we were talking about everywhere everything is going to towards digital so digital growth has to be supported by a platform which is which is tangible more like say infra or real estate wherever wherever it is so there's going to be a growth across all the digital is the driver of course that's going to uh, take up or drive so many more sectors along with it in the next decade So there's a lot of opportunities across the sectors, and uh, thanks to the pandemic, we have seen the right groups and the right credits, which on the on the on the right strategies, which stands out even in, during this. So it's easy to test now, and uh, uh, I mean, fish the better strategies, better funds, or better uh, investment managers, or or better ideas. Now, note it down, and in the next few months or in the in the next one two years. start building on the investments into it so of course that's going to that that will take its natural course of the value curve and then give you the benefits thank you cool. 
Thank you. On that note, I think I would like to thank uh, all the panelists and then also Mark for giving us this opportunity today. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation um, and uh, solid insights, and I, I'm, I'm sure we provide, you know, we were able to provide um, a, a landscape of India and the opportunities there on and uh, the opportunities for the next decade. Uh, so uh, on that note, I'll hand over the screen to Mark. Mark. Hi everyone. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Kieran, for spearheading this. This is, uh, as I said, hope, looking at this as a catalytic event, you'll see the future of work. It's a part three for FinTech. It's part four, education. Two, we have, we want to, so my question really to everyone is, um, what other, you know, deep dive, ancillary deep dives would, would be interesting? Of course, when we have a venture event, we would like the Indian venture community to join us. It's a global, you know, community, particularly if you move on to the series B, C's, D's, um, or you seek expansion. And then a lot of our family offices could be helpful value-adding investors. You know, we're also connected to the tech stars, Mafia, the White Combinator Mafia, um, Anil Ranadis, Peter Thiel. And I always like to tell Peter Thiel thinks he can see any deal he wants and you guys see it before he does. So if you tell me, then I can prove him wrong. But the key is that how can we help Kumaran? How can we help Jyoti? How can we help Socket? BJ, you've stuck around. You know, um, how can we help BJ as he does his next chapters and all of us here? Um, but India is the sub subject I sent on the, ch on the chat that video, but you know it better than me. On a PPP basis, it's a huge economy getting much bigger. So even if it's per capita six, seven thousand, the spending capacity as a percentage of that is much larger. So I, I, I think the consumer play is huge. Um, I think a lot of our investors are sophisticated, but they're not, you know, some of the families aren't even thinking about India either as a place, a destination, but they need to build relationships. And that's sort of what we're all about. So, you know, have a think on it. If you got any thoughts, we always sort of leave this time a little bit open to uh sort of like clubhouse style if everybody's on clubhouse you'll see our clubhouse these set of events starting i don't want to go full on clubhouse but we sort of do that by the way with our wednesdays i know the timing doesn't always work out with india but 10 30 all of our groups get together and we have a lot of groups like india being one of them so yeah just how, how do people want to what, what would be an interesting event or if you were those in India, how would you, you know, you see events here? Let's just let us know if you want to get involved in any of them. Thoughts? There's always the pregnant pause, right? Mark, I'll, I'll share some thoughts. Um, you know, I really appreciate you coordinating this and everyone at various time zones really appreciate you sharing your insights. Um, I think what would be helpful, I'm a U.S. based investor, but you know, I, I believe very much in the long-term story in India. I think what would be helpful is, you know, more specific, uh, details on maybe, you know, a prior investment that you guys have made. It doesn't need to be live today, but how you thought about it, what are the return potential, uh, you know, what unique insight did you bring uh, to the table? I think uh, understanding the micro uh, as well would be very interesting, uh, perhaps for the next time. And I know it's not, 
uh, as relevant to most because it could be very specific, but at least it gives an insight into what you're seeing on the ground and how you, how you potentially identify the opportunity and potentially add value uh, going forward. So that specific specificity on the deal uh, could be very important. Are you Thank talking, you. Are you talking more on the private side or would you look at? Yeah, or even even a specific stock. You know, I know that uh, Socket had mentioned uh, the general overlay of uh, consumer discretionary, but um, maybe you know a, a favorite idea that they have, uh, whether it's in the past as a case study or current. Uh, I think that could be very uh, insightful. But thank you all. Socket, are you are you there by chance? Yeah, yeah, Mark, I'm there. Uh, so, you know, I would be happy to sort of uh, probably as on a one-on-one basis, you know, connect with Vijay. And uh, Lisa, you know, who's who's our marketing person in the U.S. can sort of uh, coordinate things. And we would be happy to sort of share uh, ideas that we have held in the portfolio and our thinking and how they have uh, paid out. We, in fact, uh, also, you know, send out a quarterly newsletter to our investors, uh, which, uh, you know, would have the initial investment thesis and, uh, you know, that we would have uh, on a particular company when we invested and how it sort of uh, paid out. So we'd be happy to do that, uh, you know, when we have more time. Yeah, I think this is a day to sort of start getting to know each other. We can go into the, you can do your sidebars anytime. If you, you know, talk, uh, you can call on me as, as, as well as Lisa, we can coordinate. And if you see good managers, I was asking about secondaries for a reason. You know, we're, we're always looking for good managers to, to back and bring on. Uh, or deals. We tend to like the funds over deals because the managers bring us funds, bring us the deal, sorry. And if there was a fund to fund for India, I'd, I'd be curious about it. Anyone else? So just a comment, uh, Mark. I think uh, sure. this was an excellent uh, uh, opportunity for all of us to learn uh, about opportunities in India and also to uh, provide an overview of what would be the preference of a few of the important investors at various sectors in India. Uh, I think such initiatives and such uh, regular uh, events can be of a great uh, benefit uh, to you know, all the participants, and I'm happy to contribute uh, uh, to this community. Uh, you know, I have helped uh, many uh, MNEs and funds to explore uh, their investment decisions at India. So I'm happy to be of uh, assistance to the team. That's great. No, we, we, we greatly believe in having roundtables, and you need your lawyers and tax advisors at the roundtable like yourself. Anyone else? I, Greg, uh, are you still on? Because you, you play the emerging markets. Just curious what your view is on what you've heard. Uh, yes, I am still on. Um, you know, when you put together a pa- panels like this, uh, somebody like me who's a generalist uh, sits back and listens. And learns. Um, but everything, everything was on cue with, with what I think about India uh, in terms of the opportunity one, but in terms of the difficulty of, of investing. Uh, 
Um, there's still there's still pretty strict rules on, on direct participation locally in the Indian government. And over the years, what's happened is a lot of the instruments that offshore fab managers have used have, have disappeared. Uh, so it makes it a little bit more difficult uh, for smaller funds in particular to to access India. I mean, partnering with locals, I think, is, is top of mind. Um, you know, I, I found in the equity world, there, there's a, and especially everybody's been, been talking about small and mid caps. And there's a cottage industry of very, very smart and connected uh, fund managers in India itself um, that uh, that really dominate that market. So it's very, very hard to to compete against. Um, so I think this is a great uh, this is a great intro. Um, it hit on every single relevant topic that, that I could possibly think of. The next steps I think are how how does you know how do, how do you lose the apprehension of investing in India and uh, and, and start participating. Another general question that just came to mind to me is it, it was a big focus when it happened, but it, it's not talked about, but I think it's going to lead directly into the adoption of digital. And, 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 and when I think of these things, I think about formalization of economies, which I think is a very big deal in India is the experiment of, of being one of the first countries to curtail the use of cash. And, and what, what, what's happened there in terms of has, has that pushed more people into the digital realm, and is that leading to a very high degree of formalization of the economy, or, or not yet? So, hey, Dad. Uh, so go ahead, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, Greg, uh, you have to look at uh, demonetization, where you know uh, Mr. Modi sort of banned the cash, along with some of the other initiatives. Uh, when you think about uh, digitization, so I think. Uh, Apart from demonetization, one very important uh, uh, law, the tax law, which uh, got implemented in India was the introduction of the goods and services tax, uh, which makes tax evasion very difficult and also has been a very big contributor for accelerating the change towards the formal economy. So I would say these things have already the trend was there. The market was shifting towards more organized players demonetization and implementation of goods and services taxes only accelerated that trend. And similarly, you know, use of digital payment systems was growing at 30-40% even before some of these initiatives. But after COVID, after demonetization, after GST, those growth rates has only accelerated. So I think uh, the trend was already there, but it's already uh, given these tailwinds, the trend has accelerated in recent past. Thank you. Anyone else? Simon, are you really still here? You, you can't believe you, you actually stayed for two hours on any one thing. Testing. That's your answer. You might just jump on and surprise me. Um, anyone else? Jim, uncle? Samir, good point on on secondaries. Rob, Pat. I don't know if Rob Colorina is still on, but he had the, he had the brick question. Um, that was a big theme in the previous emerging market boom. I think it's gone by now. It, it was a really it was a it was a Goldman analyst. It was a, it was a, the head of uh, it was O'Neill, right, Jim O'Neill, who basically came up with it. Uh, Patented kind of it and and ran with it and it, it goes with my theme that at the time it was it was it was it was smart. 
because uh, you still had a, a large cohort of investors who were not involved in emerging markets, mm-hmm. uh, and you still had remnants of you know that the, the, those things I talk about, which is what was emerging markets when the when the term was coined, which was a group of countries with similar problems. Right? Uh, thing, things have evolved very differently everywhere today. Um, maybe the demographic element is still is still there outside of Russia, perhaps. Um, but uh, but in in general, I think it's it's kind of failed as a as a political agglutination of countries, and it's failed as a as an investment thesis as well. I think. Well, again, thank you, everybody. To the extent that you've got any um, su- suggestions, you know, beyond uh, what we've heard, you know, I think Karen will we'll compare notes and, uh, and and come back. Sometimes, maybe to VJ's point, is it's always good to bring actual companies in instead of not just the financial engineers, um, and you know, get us get a CEO panel uh, of sorts. Uh, what they see on the ground. Uh, particularly if we could bring some, some have got some cross-border experience, good and bad. Um, some Get those voices in here. Um, and this has been good for me, just even for me to get to know uh, Amish and, and Lisa and what they have on our platform already. So uh, we'll, we'll pay more attention. 11.5% this year, Darren? Is that the... Uh, the number? Yeah, 11.5. Let's see how many we do. Yeah. What was the final? What was the final in the 2020 number, or or where do you think that's coming? No, so, 2020 we had a contraction. I think it was minus eight or 8.5. Okay. Uh, so ideally. 7.5. Okay, minus 7.5, right? So ideally, so let let me let me put this in perspective, right? So IMF. Uh, says, you know, you need to look into, you need to add 2020 and 2021 into perspective. Uh, so just, just to give you perspective, China actually grew at around 0.9% in 2020. That's the, that's the only country which has some positive GDP. Uh, and then it is expected that China will grow at around 8% uh, in 2021. So if you combine 2020 and 2021, it's like close to 8.9, um, you average, whatever. It's like, you know, to, to the to the uh, close to the double-digit growth you know, that China has. So IMF says, you know, don't get excited about 11.5. It is good, uh, but you had a contraction. So if you add the contraction of minus 7.5 plus 11, you know, it's like close to three, three to 4.5% growth. You know that India will see, you know, during this time frame. Uh, which is not bad at all, to be frank, uh, because I think India was uh, under some kind of recessionary path, you know, even before COVID hit and we had a couple of issues within the banking system and all. Uh, but this is a very good starting point for us, you know, to uh, to uh, rebound and uh, to accelerate from here. Uh, yeah. yeah. And if I may add, I think if you look at the long-term growth, uh, India has grown at around 7% for the last two decades. Uh, and my sense is uh, a growth rates in that range is uh, possible for the foreseeable decade as well. Typically, you know, you have cyclical lows and highs. So in good years, the growth can be as high as 8 to 9%. And in uh, recessionary times, in India still grows, but, you know, growth decelerates to maybe 5% or so. 
But on an average, over a long period of time, I think 7% real GDP growth. Uh, and if you add 4 5% inflation, we're talking about around 11 to 12% nominal growth is what uh, I think uh, India has delivered over the past two decades and should uh, be able to do over uh, the coming years as well. There was some confusion a few years ago about the, the, the methodology of calculation of GDP, right? And, and a lot of debate around that. that that's been digested, right, by, by people by now? Yes, I would say this was more a political debate than an economic debate where, uh, you know, an incumbent government wants to show that how the country did much better during their uh, political time frame rather than the previous party. Uh, so I would say it was more to do with the uh, politics around it rather than uh, uh, pure economic uh, theory around it. But otherwise, like I said, you know, India has grown at around 7% on an average. Uh, you can make the numbers look slightly better in certain years uh, versus others, depending on how you collect the data. Yeah. Thank you. I've been uh, navigating on purpose on, on our app. So, you know, we now have, have 2,500 people have been to our events and we have 700 on the app. Um, I, I prefer everybody on join the app for a couple of reasons. One is you, we get to know you and it is a community. And if you tag yourself, um, like this is the India tag, we're, and this is a bit newer. We're startup on the app side, in particular. But if you, um, and then we've asked a lot of people through our homepage to post using hashtags as much as you can, because then we can all, like that was India. India didn't have a lot of content, but we have deals, strategic advisors, you know, really because we say people are looking for a deal, capital, deals, or talent at Triangle, um, and that's how we sort of form our communities. Um, so if it's India, you're looking to deploy or, or more capital into the India deals or or you need to access, you know, somebody like Nadal, um, you know, to get a deal done. So join and engage. That's how we uh, we evolve. Great. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll keep the conversation going and Deep dive two, three, four.